And one of the unique things about Pixar is that you show your shot to the room and you talk directly to the director and try to present your ideas about what we're trying to do. That's something we've done since Toy Story. It's a very rewarding way of working as an animator because you really get to show what you want to do. It's someone's not telling you don't do that. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Hey folks, Sean Krauss is on the show. Sean began his career as an animator at Pixar, and Sean's first feature at Pixar happened to be Pixar's first feature as well, a little film you may have heard about called Toy Story. Sean could have left the movie business forever after Toy Story, and his career would have been considered amazing. But he kept going, of course, as great artists do, and he went on to animate the most culturally defining films of the 90s and 2000s, including A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Finding Dory, and Soul. He also led the entire animation team on Cars 2, Inside Out, and Up, which was the first animated 3D film to open the Cannes Film Festival. Up also won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature and was nominated for Best Picture. I think I've seen every one of Sean's films in a movie theater with my kids laughing and sometimes even crying at the incredible stories these films brought to the big screen. During Sean's tenure at Pixar, he also oversaw the animation production on several Pixar attractions at Disney theme parks. Along the way, he picked up a Visual Effects Society Award as the lead animator on the character Joy from Inside Out and became a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. In 2020, Sean left Pixar to join Spire Animation Studios as creative director, where he's working on a number of exciting projects, including an animated feature with Danny McBride called Trouble. If you listen to my interview with Sean's colleague at Spire, Michael Suri, which launched a few days ago, you've probably already surmised that it's Animator Week on the podcast, and I don't think I could have picked two more talented animators to have on the show. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat with Sean Krauss. Sean Krauss, welcome to DreamPath Podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs> I wish I had a cool microphone like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just I just got this thing a couple weeks ago and before I mean I've been doing this a couple years and I've always had this trusty little $100 mic and it's worked wonderfully, but I decided to upgrade and uh it, now it looks like this monstrosity on <laughs> near my face but no no it's, it's great it sounds so much better we work with a guy on, on the um on the rigging side of things and we joke with him because it sounds like a podcast if we tell me talk to him hello you got this great sultry voice <laughs> it's got that radio dj voice totally yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm trying to look and sound legit as much as possible these days so <laughs> like the guitar collection too by the way oh thank you yeah i try to Trying to have a backdrop that is a little more interesting than my blank wall or maybe my linen closet. <laughs> I, I moved out of my office, my makeshift office, because we're all working from home. I had to come in the, ma in the living room because I, I basically did my uh, laundry room up with a curtain <laughs> to like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah to, so we, uh, so it wouldn't be like you couldn't see it. it to turn my whole office the other way towards the wall was going to be too much work. So, you know, so. Yeah. So where is home for you? I'm up in the Bay Area in Lafayette, California. Oh, okay. So if you took Highway 24 across the Bay Bridge and went straight out through the tunnel, it's a, it's about 20 minutes 
northeast of that. So, how is it working away from the hub of Los Angeles? Well, I've only been up here my whole career. Yeah. So um, that's all I know. But I, but I mean, I, we're going to move down there because we're going to put our studio down there. But, but yeah. So I, you know, I, I came out. I grew up in the Midwest. Grew up in St. Louis. And so when I, when I came out, I was in LA, and then came up to the Bay Area. Pixar was basically my first job. Okay. And so it was almost like when I would tell people about my experience being at CalArts later in life, because they would, a lot of people would go out of high school into CalArts. And I, I'd say, oh my God, I'm so jealous because you get to go right into it, you know? And they'd say, I'm so jealous of you. You got a, you got a, a regular uh, degree. <laughs> and then you went into the, to the art. So yeah. it was a bit like that with Pixar, where I feel like in a way I'm, again, kind of jealous of them in some ways because they all had great experiences and stories and they knew you know, they knew the industry, they, they knew each other, they bounced around a, a lot. And I, on the other hand, had the great fortune of being in one place that was fantastic and, and it worked out great. So I, I stayed there, but it was like, you can't go back and relive it, but you know, I, I feel very fortunate, but I, I, I feel like I wish I would have had those stories during that era too, you know? Yeah. Can't have it all, I guess. <laughs> what an amazing confluence of events to allow you to start at Pixar really at ground zero in terms of maybe not exactly ground zero, but pretty darn close to it with Toy Story. And when I think of Pixar, that's the immediate image that comes into my mind. Toy Story, which is a culturally defining movie for this country and for this world, I think. I agree. And I feel very lucky to have happened uh, to line up right at that moment, because I, like you, I could say it because I think again, I feel like it was a stroke of luck, but it is. It's it's kind of like a Snow White moment where it really really was a very defining moment in especially animated films. So yeah, I mean I I came in and I remember I'd always I had always wanted to work at uh Disney for years, um at my whole life. And uh my teacher was an animator. Larry White was my teacher at at Cal Arts when I was there. And it was really striking to me. He showed me the short films that Pixar had done in, in our class one, or not me, our whole class showed us the short films and it and like a lightning bolt. I went, that's where I want to work. Hmm. And it was crazy to me because I'd never dreamed I'd ever want to work anywhere else, but it was, it struck me as just the, the freshness of it. It was, it was a combination in my mind of the Muppets meets Warner brothers meets Disney and it had all, it just had a really fresh take on things in my mind. So I was then <laughs> focused on that. Mm -hmm. And so when I got into the producer show at CalArts and Pete Doctor said, hey, I'd like to meet. I, I was like giddy, you know, I mean, because I just was such a fan of even the work they had done. And I knew nothing about Toy Story when I came up. So in terms of the craft of animation, when you came into Pixar, was it, completely transforming at that moment in time in terms of CG and the way that animation was being produced? Or were you still in this old school? Because uh, I just had the pleasure of talking to Michael Suri this morning. Yeah, he's great. And I asked him this question about, you know, in the 80s when he was starting to do animation, how different was it from the animation that was done in the 40s and 50s? And basically his answer was not much different <laughs> in terms of, you know, thousands and thousands of images to make up like a five second frame and it would take weeks to do it so when you started at pixar how was the technology changing in terms of computers and the way that you approach a five second frame of footage well i think well most of us 
probably everybody started at that time. We had to learn how to draw a traditional style, like it, 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 2D animation. Mm-hmm. So we had a real strong grounding in that. I mean, I'd only done it, you know, with school for about, you know, a year, but I, when I was a kid, I would, you know, draw on a flip book and I would experiment. I had the, uh, that illusion of life book that everyone has, uh, that, uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, uh, wrote, you know, about their time at Disney and how they, they formed the principles of animation. They put that in there. So we were using all of us at Pixar really looked to them to, to, you know, stand on their shoulders to kind of bring that into the, into the computer. And I think the biggest change that what Pixar was doing that, that made the biggest difference was they were adopting those principles. And uh, I mean, I'm just animation wise, Mm -hmm. the biggest change was that squash and stretch and retaining volume and giving that elasticity, that illusion of life to characters that I don't know if I'd seen done in that way, you know, you know, Jurassic Park had used the kind of creature animation, but it really didn't have that exact in my mind. I hadn't seen anything else that had done a really exaggerated, you know, um, Disney-esque way of approaching animation. So what got me was that, you know, I, again, I had done it for like a year. I, I worked at a, a small company called Creative Capers for about three months. They were wonderful to give me my, my first break into a real job. And um, I was doing, doing CD-ROM games, if you remember those. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, drawing that. And if you made one pose, changed one pose, you, you had to reanimate all the in-betweens. And that was, you know, it was really a, a, a lot of work. So when I came up and I remember um, one of the animators showing me, give me a demo on how it, how it works on the computer. And when he had this ball there and he moved the ball up and down and changed, you know, the height of it and would squash it or change the timing of it and then, zoom, then pull a camera around. I was a little bit like, I'm in because <laughs> you get all that for, for free. So, right. so we, we, I think we, you know, we tried to hold on to all the, um, all the principles and the ways of looking at animation that a, traditional animator would. I, and I, I think with the computer, the difference was it's easy to, the, one of the pitfalls, it's easy to look at these characters, especially when they're designed so beautifully and just move them around and think, done. You know, it's like, it's all, it looks great, you know? And, um, but you're not thinking about the pose all the time. You kind of kind of force yourself to plus it or break something in a different way to make it look like a graphic representation for a stronger silhouette or a stronger pose. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that is um, can be challenging is uh, under the hood, when we're doing things, when you look at the arc of a, uh, of this is a bouncing ball going up and down, you would have uh, in the computer, a bell curve to describe that, that, uh, that uh, movement, you know, and if you had, had to be a lighter ball, it would be like a, a bell curve with a, like a really smooth top and then a sharp bottom. And if you looked at it with a heavier ball, it would be the opposite. And so you would look at those things and feel it out when you watched it, but you ha- you have to really think about the frame visually like a, a traditional uh, animator would to think of spacing because the spacing has such a huge impact on the uh, the feeling of something as well. So you can't just always rely on how does these arcs for these linear representations of movement over time look. You want to really think about what am I seeing and how am I supposed to, how can I make that more impactful? So that's just two ways I think that I would point out, you know, out of the gate that we were, we were trying to adopt and, and put into what we were doing. Yeah. And since that time, I mean, today for animators getting into the business, are they still going to have to come in with that same core foundation of drawing skills and understanding anatomy and the basics of drawing 
as much as they did back then, or is it different now? Well, I think that, you know, that's always great. That's a huge plus to having drawing is fundamental. I think it's just going to make their work even that much stronger for someone coming into it. But I think, you know, kind of unfortunately, you don't have to be as strong of a draftsman now because you don't, it's all, it's there. You, you just want to be informed about what you're doing, that you're, that you're doing these things, you're posing these characters with the same uh, thought process as you would if you were drawing it. Yeah. And, and again, the pitfall is you fall into a shape like, oh, the hands are separated. That's great. Now I want to move this to look better in a graphic way to say something more. I want to elongate something, the fingers or a hand or a, you know, whatever it is to, to feel like I would draw it. It's a choice, you know? So I, even now we can draw over our, our work. If we're looking at our animation in a computer, you can look on the screen and you can draw over what you're doing. And I find that a lot of times if I'm animating something, I'll block it in with the, the with the uh, 3D character. And then I might draw over something that's more of an elaborate movement or process because it's a little more freeing. It doesn't take as much time. You can kind of get it, the gestural idea. But what's also interesting is that you'll get happy accidents sometimes with a computer character and you'll get interesting accidents or you'll find yourself approaching it in a different way because you're drawing versus moving a three-dimensional object in space. So it's nice to bounce between the two. So I, I, I still do use bits of what I learned. And again, you know, Mike, you talked earlier, is a brilliant <laughs> uh, draftsman and a brilliant animator. Mm -hmm. I never had to do timing charts like he would do with, with uh, animation. I never had to draw that well to keep a character on model. I never got into it because I, again, I, I didn't need to day to day. And if you're not drawing like that day to day, you, you know, that's, that's what gets you so good. You're just constantly doing it. It's like playing guitar, right? You just get better and better. Right. So is it still just as time consuming, but just in a different way to create that five seconds of screen time or is it much faster because of computers? I think it just depends what you're doing. If you're doing cars, it's probably a lot faster because it's, I think it's a lot trickier to hand draw a vehicle or something as rigid in, you know, in 2D. Conversely, if you're doing organic characters, fish, people, it might be easier to just draw it by hand because it's all there where you have to force something that is very rigid or, con or plastic to want to be organic yeah. in, when you're using computer graphics. So, so there's a balance, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it doesn't, we don't save that much time because even we would go back at, when I was at Pixar and look at how long did it take to render a frame from Toy Story 1? How many time, how much time does it take to render a frame from Coco? <laughs> and it's, it kind of is the same, if not slower, because at every advancement of the technology, we would go further with what we want we could do or what we wanted to do so you're always pushing the limits of what you can get done and you know ultimately things are getting faster it's just what we what are we throwing at that that uh that rendering time or that image right and this is an observation i've made specifically about toy story because of an event i went to at sundance maybe 10 years ago with andrew stanton and andrew was on the stage and it was like some forum q a thing and andrew was talking about the story development for Toy Story and how long it took, like just how painstaking it was to go through one hour and a half, two hour film, um, years. I mean, you're talking about years of story development. Yeah. And I noticed, I think between Toy Story 1 and 2, I think it was like four years. 
you have this winning franchise, but it takes that long to actually nail it. When did you, as an animator, start to get tuned into the story side of things? Well, you know, you're always you at, at Cal Arts. We're doing our own films, so we're, we, we're in it out of the gate. You know, we're always thinking of that. I think what it came down to more was I was drawn to the performance side of things, and it's all rooted in character. It's all rooted in storytelling, right? Um, but that's what I like seeing my work on the screen. I like seeing the performance, getting a reaction from the audience, and knowing I, I, I did that, and it got a reaction here. I, I made them cry. I made the, you made it, made them laugh. But as I went on. And I explored that quite a bit. It was more when I could be stepped into a leadership role on uh, on up, and then you know as I progressed and up to Inside Out, the more you're in that world, and the more you're thinking on a on a higher level, and you're and you're seeing your contribution on a on a broader scope. You're being you know in other you're invited to other meetings. Um, you start to then become interested in other things and other aspects of filmmaking. And so I really started to be a lot more curious about that to the point where, you know, I'd asked to be, you know, involved with story a bit more. And so I got a little bit of a chance to kind of, you know, get in the story room a little bit and, and, and see what that's about and, um, and, and try my hand at that before, before I left. So it was, it was later, definitely. It was midway through my career, I guess you'd say like on up, I started to be more nearing that way. Yeah. Up for me, I think was a turning point in animation in terms of like, well, I, I mean, Toy Story, I think was a turning point from the standpoint of a parent yeah. who attends the film to please their child and then is surprised by how moving the film was. And it's like, well, actually, this is an adult film <laughs> just as much as it's a kid film. But Up seems like it really was a game changer hmm. in terms of like just raising the bar for how incredible a story can be and how you've got you're looking around the theater and there's like adults just like trying to hold back their tears and <laughs> you know it just taps into so so much nostalgia and so much about you know the existential crisis and you know how short our lives are but at the time that you were working on that film did you realize that it was going to be a game changer in animation um no i mean i didn't i guess it was such a string of films that had already done that a bit, like Toy Story 2 even, you know, like they're asking these questions on, a, on, a, on one level, but they have this dual meaning to them that we, that's always been kind of in the mix. So, I, you know, that was just, I think, just a wonderful experience. So many great things happened. It was such a great time, you know, for all of us, working with your best friends there. So it was just fun to see it happen. And I think that was the whole time I was at Pixar. Just every film was just a joy to be involved with, and the bravery and the luxury of uh, being able to take those risks for these the directors and writers when they were doing these things. To be able to be around and be a part of that and to contribute to those to those things was just a real honor and and fun. Just a, so much fun. Did you ever think, as an animator, that you would be working on? films that would be nominated for Academy Awards <laughs> when you first started your career? No, I was thinking about the other day because, you know, we were talking about doing this and it was like, all I wanted to do was this, you know, I loved growing up with Warner Brothers cartoons and Disney cartoons. And I thought that's so much fun. And I always gravitated towards drawing. I always gravitated towards, you know, that kind of thing. And so I just, when I came out, I thought I'll be lucky to get a job, but I'll be happy. You know, so when I, I, when I moved out to, to land at a place and have Toy Story be, the first film 
that that I got to work on was just mind blowing. And um, so, no, I did not. <laughs> that was never in in the in my back of my head at all. <laughs> I see that Up was invited to a show at Cannes. And did you go to Cannes, or what was that experience like? No, I did, I did not go, but it was wonderful. That was a big. So that was a cool thing because I think it was one of the first animated films that I know of to to be there and um and to, to be in that held in that regard you know and so i was just so happy for for pete doctor and jonas especially because i you know pete doctor someone i met at, at, at kell arts and um when i became to the producer show but but jonas i had known jonas when he, he started there he was a producer and we became friends like the first year and it was just fun to see him rise through the ranks he was he's such a a, a great person in a and a, such a talented person and just so happy because there's such good people too. And so that was, yeah, again, all these kind of firsts or big, big things happen with each successive film. It was, it was just a real fun ride. And Inside Out, when you were working on Inside Out, what, what were the challenges that you faced as an animator dealing with taking concepts that had never been animated before and putting them into visual form, like emotions? Um, it was more like how are we going to differentiate between the uh, the humans and then the mind characters, and you know ultimately we we went to a more pushed you know cartoon e style of of the mind characters, but um, yeah it was just kind of testing the waters of what can we do what what do we need to see with effects what do we need to see with the performance trying to dip our toe into making them move and react in a way that's visceral and relatable. And um, I think the, one of the big challenges was every character for the Mayan characters were so distinctively different. They required a lot of work for the animation team to pose those to character because it was a very graphic style. Going back to like the, how do we lean on that way of animating? You know, fear, his eyeballs were, every time he turned his head, you had to move his eyeballs. Every time Joy turned her head, you had to move her tuft of hair on there. And one of the things we did, we took a nod from the beautiful work that uh, Glenn Keane and everyone had done on Tangled at, at, at Disney and just in awe of the appeal that they got out of those characters. So it was our understanding that Glenn Keane had drawn over a lot of the animators' works to, to help people push it. And again, to find that balance between traditional and, and 3D. So Tony Fuccilli was at the studio. And so we asked him to do that for us. And um, Tony has such a, a humble uh, way of approaching this and working with the animators. Um, so people would send work to him and he would, you know, kind of offer suggestions with a, with a really make this bigger question mark. He was very, very uh, collaborative, diplomatic, diplomatic, <laughs> kind and, uh, yeah. and uh, gracious and humble. And it really worked well for everyone because it upped everyone's game. And um, so that collaboration between what we did and what he could bring to the table was, that was another element of what we, what we did. And we use that on subsequent, every subsequent film now, I believe. Yeah, I think Soul even had two people doing it to help out. And so it's a great role that just, it, it's a nice bounce between those, uh, those skill sets. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. 
our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Now, back to the interview. What kind of conversations do you have with the producers and the directors about how much to make the characters look like the voice actors? Because I noticed like in, in Toy Story, I can kind of see Tom Hanks in there. And I, I don't know if that's just, you know, maybe it's just me and I'm imposing that or projecting that onto the character. And then, you know, other characters, obviously like uh, Buzz Lightyear with Tim Allen. I mean, I don't know, it's, it's less Tim Allen-y in terms of the visual, but what kinds of decisions are being made and why on those issues? Well, I think it's mostly it comes to the animator. So I don't think, well, that has never been a goal of what we've done. We never really tried to do that. Occasionally, I think maybe when Phyllis Diller was doing, was it was on Bugs Life, they might've added some flowers to her head to do inspired by Phyllis Diller's hair. Occasionally, you know, things will come up. I think a lot all the time uh, at, at, at Pixar, they'll record the the voice talent. Mm-hmm. And so some editors like to do their own reference. Some editors thumbnail only. Sometimes they look at the voice actors doing the performance and just try to pull inspiration and ideas from anywhere you can. So maybe, you know, sometimes people will pull something from a performance. So it could look like Tom, Tom Hanks or, you know, um, or Tina Fey or somebody, but it's never the goal. It's never the idea is to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think other studios might have done that more than we did, but it, you know, it, what was funny to me was that I remember people would talk uh, about like uh, when people were drawing and doing 2d animation, you had a mirror you'd look in and you, you draw the character and it would start to look like the animator occasionally, because you're looking at the way your brows furrow, you're looking at the way you would style <laughs> your mouth. So I think right. those things would be reflected in, in a drawing. And it felt weird that that would happen in 3D, but it, it would it, really, it would happen with us too because you, someone might talk and do a performance and do their head this way, and it would show up on the screen. And, and you get those movements, and you could put, oh, that, that's that animator. I know that that that's like how they would do it. So right, those elements would creep into what we're doing as well. So I guess it's just natural because you're looking at yourself do these things. Is this like a wives' tale, or is this true that sometimes animators will slip things into animated films that are, are kind of like hidden things that are kind of inside jokes or things that you wouldn't pick up on consciously? Yeah, I think for years, you know, going way, way back, you you hear stories and you'd see things from other Disney films or Warner Brothers days, um, you know, uh, signs or caricatures of people that they knew. And certainly in our films, it's well known. I mean, it's throughout every film. There's, you know, there's a, a, a like a maybe I think there was a maybe a doll in the girl's room and up when the balloons go up. That was the next movie. And this movie has a car from this movie. And, it, you know, it's a toy. You know? So there's all these ways we were kind of hinting at things. There's the um, the number of the CalArts school classroom that's in all the films. And so there's all kinds of those kind of inside jokes, you know, on um Incredibles, you know, they're at the beginning when Mr. Incredible is going through the streets. That's, I believe, that's all downtown Emeryville where Pixar is, the streets he's going through. So there's lots of little nods and winks to, oh, and here's one in, inside out. I remember they had a, my dad's a locksmith, has a, has a, a, a shop in St. Louis, and she runs up, one of the first sequences we did, she runs up to a door to open the door. And I, I was like, oh, I wonder if on that lock you could put, 
you know, the little the graphic or the name of my dad's shop on there because it'd be kind of fun. <laughs> but, but I gave him a business card just to kind of say, this is, you know, this is what it is. And I totally forgot about it. And like six months later, someone comes, comes up and says, boy, who did you pay and I, to get your name everywhere? And I said, what do you mean? And they, and they said, well, we went to a sets review and your, your dad's shops everywhere. So they <laughs> use my dad's shop logo in the window and you'll see it on when uh, Riley and her mom are walking up the street talking about getting pizza. And then even better at the end, when you're going into the minds of characters and there's the cat moment, yeah, it has my dad's logo and it hasn't changed. It's the logo. Oh. So people will go into the the key shop in St. Louis and ask, "How did your name get in there?" So <laughs> it's kind of fun. So that is one that it was was nice to kind of be surprised that it would be that out there, you know. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us about Soul. I watched it recently. I watched it with my kids, and it was just incredible. I mean, you just know you're watching something really special. And Inside Out is the same way. Mm. A completely different world that's created. And these fantastical elements that all come together in this really incredible way. Tell us about working on that project. Well, in that one, I I was kind of bounced around a little bit. I you know I I have an animation credit. I did a little bit of animation in one shot in that film. I did more of the promo directing of the the promotion promotional work because I was trying to stretch outside of what I do. And um, I was lucky enough to kind of shadow inside the storeroom a little bit and kind of just be a fly on the wall and see if, if I could learn something in there. So. You know, I think what I could speak to on that is more about just watching the way, you know, Pete Doctor and the story team come up with this and try to form this world and the conversations and the the wild, what can you use, you know, because there's so many ways of looking at things and how do you, what does death look like? Where, you know, where are you going? What does that orb look like? Is that, is that unsettling? So, it, it's a lot like Inside Out, where it's sort of like, what do emotional worlds look like? What would her islands look like? And so it's all these really big ideas. And I think the challenge comes down to how do you make it relatable? How do you make it you know, fun, digestible, engaging, emotional, all those things. So, And not too abstract either. Yeah. Yeah. And it, give it stakes. You know, like one of the things we talked about, again, going back to Inside Out, was just that when we're treating the characters in a really cartoony way, if you start to have them zip around like Bugs Bunny and have no consequence to how they act physically, then you're not going to have the same connection of danger when you they get in perilous situations. So it just, one of the nice things that Pixar gets to do, and I'm sure they did it on Soul a lot, was that you keep changing things till you get it right. You keep changing things until they work. It's It's not like, okay, here's a script, done. Just let's just make that, you know? So... Uh, you know, Kevin Nolting, the editor, has a big part in that. He had a big part in, in Inside Out and other films we've done. And he, he and Pete work very closely together. You know, animation story, everyone. It's a, such a collaborative process. So it's just, it's a real exploration everyone's doing together. What does the team look like on a movie like Soul in terms of how many people are there, how many different departments? And um, I just have no concept of what an operation looks like at Pixar for producing a film like Soul? Well, the, I would say, you know, when we started on Toy Story, the, the animation team was about 25 people, bloomed up to maybe 30. You get to the, you know, the era of Soul, you're over 100 animators, over 110 animators or so, you know, working on these things. The, the, hmm. the dailies get to be two hour, three, you know, two hour dailies, not half an hour, hour long dailies. What are dailies? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
dailies are but okay when when you're we're showing shots and animation one of the nice things and again i think it was adopted from the disney way of doing things was you would get into a uh you go into the room and the animators would send their work to the main computer there and the directors there and you sit there with the director and one of the unique things about pixar is that you show your shot to the room and you talk directly to the director and try to present your ideas about what you're trying to do. You don't have to go through other leadership roles before you get to the director. Mm. That's something that we've done since Toy Story. And that was a very, it's a very rewarding way of working as an animator because you really get to show what you want to do. It's someone's not telling you don't do that. And it, you know, for better or worse, because certainly when you show your work on the screen, there's days, it gets a big reaction. Right. Um, or other people kind of, you know, ah, they debate this. You don't want no reaction. So crickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, well, I guess that didn't work, you know? So, right. So it's, a, it's, so we, so what you, what we would do is after the animators are given their, their work, they would go to their offices, put it together, probably talk, you know, shoot reference, talk to fellow animators and get something they're, they're ready to show. And then you show it to the, to the director. And we would have, we have dailies every day, 9 a.m., when we get into the thick of production. And it's, how you vet performances is how you look at it together. You look at all the shots in, in, in um, sequence to make sure things are playing well together and that, you know, you're looking at it so that uh, you don't do something and then you watch it with the other work around it. And you're like, oh, that totally doesn't work because everything's going on 11 and really huge. We got we, we to have a nice flow to this. Are things hooking up in continuity from shot to shot? So yeah, dailies is something we do every day with the director and we all kind of get to, learn from each other, inspire, you know, and, and, and poke at things and what's the best way to, to do this. So going back in time a little bit here to your college days, you came from Missouri, you got an MFA, right? Yeah. Did you also get a, another degree? Did I see that it was a non-art related degree? Oh, I, I um, well, I had a, a master's and uh, a degree in, um, uh, master's. <laughs> I have a bachelor's degree in uh, fine art, drawing, and painting. Okay, and then my, a minor in art history. Okay, and uh, so. And then you came out to Cal Arts, and how long were you there? About a year. Uh, yeah, just a, one, one year to Cal Arts. Yeah. So, how important was your bachelor's degree in terms of your formation as an artist and as a craftsman versus the Cal Arts piece and? Can someone get into this industry today without either of those components, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I think it just, I think it comes down to just talent. You don't have to have all this stuff. I mean, there's, there's lots of people we, I, that I've you know, seen and met over the years that they're just naturally brilliant artists. They have some envious, enviable at ease with creation or what they do, or they pick this up and they just do that. And you're like, what? Oh, I don't know. I just tried that. And it was perfect. <laughs> no. So it happens, you know. So I hate those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it can be frustrating, and, and you know, uh, but yeah, there's people who just fall into it, and they just are good at so many things, and they have a, a natural ability. And so, you know, for me, I, I think it was great because I'd always been interested. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I mean, when I was going to get my my bachelor's degree, I don't. I think it was yeah, it was probably before Disney kind of had their second, you know, their, their resurgence with the. Little Mermaid and all that stuff that really brought animation to the forefront of popularity again. So, you know, I had, I didn't know what I was going to do. So, but I always loved 
you know, film and I love fine art. And my, my parents were always big lovers of things like that. So I think that because they were into it, I was inspired to do things like that. I would draw all the time. And so uh, what was nice about it was that it, it opened my eyes to so many things in the art world. It gave me a lot of life drawing um, experience because I think the hard part going to Cal Arts and the, the where I had a leg up a little bit was that I was a little bit older. So I had a little less, I, I knew I wanted to be there. I wasn't him and Han. And that when you're at Cal Arts, there's so many things you have to learn when you're there. I mean, you, learning animation itself could be all you do, but they had design classes, then you have story classes, and then, and then you have life drawing classes. So to get all those character design classes, to get all those strengths up at the same time, is a pretty big task. You kind of want to fall into the camp that you're really interested in. So the fact that I could come to the table with with a lot of life drawing experience helped my venture into drawing animation. I, I wasn't just learning it right then, you know? So, right. Yeah. So what inspired you to go in a completely different direction and leave Pixar for Spire? Um, I think like most people, you know, who, who who've been around, 25, 26 years, you're looking for opportunity. I mean, Pixar is a wonderful, fantastic, <laughs> amazing place, but it's, it, you know, it, it can get easy to kind of settle into, okay, I, I do this really well, you know, but as you go on, you suddenly uh, kind of underneath the surface, something's going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, you don't recognize it. It's, I guess they call it mindfulness now, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. being mindful of like, why am I feeling less, thrilled about this. I still love it, but it's, I'm being drawn to story. I'm being drawn to filmmaking and being drawn to, to music. Literally, I started getting into music after so long that I started to kind of reach out in other ways. And, and, uh, and so when you're at a, when you're at a, at a place that long and a place that big, you know, there's a lot of stuff, things going on. And it's very hard to fall back into that scrappy time of a, of, you know, the toy story or bugs life at the beginning when, it's all hands on deck and hey, you can draw some stuff here. We'll take it over here and do this. So the opportunity to get back into that mental place, the opportunity to kind of take some risk on was exciting that the, the Unreal Engine and using you know computer engines to maybe take what we do to the next level, right? Uh, you know, was exciting to kind of to know even a couple of years ago, uh, Andrew Coates, who had done Borrowed Borrow Time, was very interested in what what was going on and it's advanced quite a bit since then even but um i think it was yeah just opportunity talking to brad the idea that i could get out of animation it's, it was it's really hard to get out of the animation department you can you get to the top of animation you get to the top of the story department what's next you know and mm-hmm. it's like producing directing you know it's the leadership those are the kind of ways you can go with it so the idea that we could go and and uh maybe grow out of those those areas was really exciting. And Brad Lewis is fantastic. And he was like, come in, what do you want to do? You know? So I think it was time. It just felt like it was time as well. Like you get, you get to a place, you, you contribute, you learn some things and then you kind of, you go, okay, where else can I help? What else, where else can I grow and learn from other people and, and shake it up? Cause a lot of times I found at Pixar too, a lot of great ideas were coming from people who were coming from other places now and saying, Hey, I worked at this place. We might try this. I work over here, and and I was always blown away with people for the past like ten years who would who would say, 
Oh, I re-rigged that character. Oh, I, I took it. I, I brought it out of uh, your Presto and put it in Maya and did this and brought it back in. I'm like, how do you even know how to do that? Because <laughs> you just get kind of like comfortable with what you know. So it was a real exciting opportunity mm-hmm. to, to make that change. Yeah. The way I'm envisioning this is like you're working for Facebook or Google for 25, 30 years. And, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to jump ship and do something a little more risky and a little more bold and possibly more personally fulfilling, like, you know, working for a startup. And I don't know if this is a startup or not, Spire, but certainly a smaller operation than Pixar, huh? Yeah. And it's, it definitely isn't like a startup we feel because, I mean, we're building the pipeline, we're figuring things out, we're starting fresh. All the nice, you know, things that you had, you know, you think, okay, I'm not going to have this, this, this. We'll be here. Oh, we don't have that. Oh, my God, we don't have this. So you're you're really going, we're really getting everything together, but it, everyone's really excited and enthusiastic about it. And yeah, it's a, it's a really fun, fun time right now. So what kind of projects are you excited about right now? I saw something about on your Twitter feed about trouble with Danny McBride. Yeah, we are extremely excited about that. I mean, I mean, it, it's a universal situation right i mean who hasn't been in trouble mm-hmm. you know and so yeah. when brad kind of pitched it as uh okay we've all been in trouble we've all done things we shouldn't have you know but what if getting in trouble wasn't just getting in trouble it was an actual place <laughs> and i was like oh okay and so your mind just starts racing about what is that place and then when he said you know danny mcbride was on it i mean i'm a huge danny mcbride fan and and his writers um you know kevin barnett and, and chris pappas are I met them uh, in a few meetings as, as we've gone along, and they're just brilliant, hilarious people and writers. And so it's it just feels like this could be something. One of the one of the great things is that we don't have an identity as a studio yet. We don't have a way we have to approach things. We don't have a, a certain sort of way of telling stories that you can fall into after a certain amount of time. So the idea that we could take this to places that we're not tethered by, you know, our, our own limitations, maybe, you know, is, is exciting to see where that could go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, and the little bit I've, I've briefly met, you know, you know, Danny McBride in, in meetings and just to see how brilliant he is as a story mind and how funny he is and how he's just, it's inspiring to, to be in the room with him, you know, well, mm-hmm. Zoom room. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that there are certain comics or comedic actors who, okay, they're known for being funny, mm. but I think to be that funny, you have to be vulnerable. Like you have to be ready to be the buffoon and have everybody see how flawed you are. And that's part of their magic. But I, I think also that translates really well into connecting to people on an emotional level. That's why I think comedians like Bill Murray are so great in dramas. Mm, yeah. You know, Lost in Translation. And I think Danny McBride has that. There's something about Danny that's really special in that way, kind of a Bill Murray or Jack Black. He can make you cry with laughter with raising one eyebrow, that type of charisma. Well, and it takes some pretty, pretty amazingly flawed characters who do some great, despicable things, you'd say, and, and some, right, make some terrible, terrible choices. And you're still rooting for them, that you still like them. Yeah. <laughs> or want to watch them. Right. That's phenomenal in itself. Like it, it's, that's, a, that's quite a feat to pull off. So, yeah. Yeah. Who can ever imagine rooting for the Eastbound and Down character? 
I know. Uh, <laughs> but I was. I think we all were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I see you're on social media on Instagram and Twitter, and your handle on those channels is Kraus underscore Sean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. K-R-A-U-S-E underscore Sean. Any other places online where people can reach out to you and ask questions and connect with you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. And so that's about it, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with me. I appreciate you, you know, reaching out and connecting. It's been really nice. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. Thank you.